0: You're about to listen to Johnny and Hawk, covering all things Oklahoma sports, from the prep ranks to the college level, as well as the Thunder and Minor League Sports Tulsa. Now, let's get to your hosts, Johnny Resendez and Dan Hawk. Welcome into another edition of Johnny and the Hawk podcast. I am Dan Hawk. As always, my co-host with this is Johnny Resendez. Johnny, there's nothing going on this week. We didn't have anything to discuss. Yeah, right. Big 12 title game in the books. Oklahoma State loses a tough one to Baylor just by a few inches in Big D. And also, Oklahoma tabs their new head coach to lead Sooner Nation. That is Brett Venables, the former defensive coordinator for Clemson University. And a bunch of high school state championships were represented out of green country down at UCO over the weekend. But first off, i got to ask Johnny, how do you feel about the hire of Brett Venables as the new head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners? Well, Dan, um,
1: if you were to be on Twitter as much as I was throughout this entire process, you would know that this is not really much of a surprise. For some reason, there was just so much circulation that Brett Venables was going to be the next head coach. It made sense. He was a defensive coordinator when Bob Stoops was here. So it was kind of one of those things where like, okay, this guy is as good of a fit. It's a no brainer. Uh, in terms of what he brings to the table, I think it's going to he's going to bring exactly what OU needs. And that's the big D word called defense. That's what he's going to do. Now, obviously with Lincoln Riley's departure, you saw this whole week, we just seen so many decommits. So many decommits going to USC, going to wherever else. Um, so it may take some time for Brett Venables to get everything together or to be able to get OU to where he wants him to be. But I, if I was an OU fan, I'd feel pretty good about this hire. I would feel um, pretty comfortable knowing that this guy wants to be at OU. That he already was at OU. That he wants to be a part of the Sooner family again. Um, and I think I mean, Brett Vanderbilt is a great recruiter, fantastic recruiter. All the stuff that he did with Clemson, the that defense that he had with Clemson, that he formed during those uh, national championship years, was something to really be behold. And if he could emulate that at OU, and if he could make the right get the right staff in place. On the offensive side of the ball, I think OU has absolutely nothing to worry about, especially heading to the SEC.
0: No, I think it's a great hire. I think, Johnny, you nailed it on the right right spot in the fact that Brett Venables is the perfect fit for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma, uh, in a whole nutshell, I think they wanted a guy that already represented Oklahoma at some point in their career or has some sort of Oklahoma ties. You got a guy that was a part of a championship team with Bob Stoops Why not bring him back in the mix? I think it's a perfect fit. But you also nailed it on the other side of things. They better figure out the offense quickly because right now, with the the way the offense has played this year and the way that recruits have jumped ship, I think that's going to be a catalyst for future development of what's going to happen for the OU faithful as far as the offense goes.
1: Right. Now, that being said, as a fan of the opposing team, This hire does absolutely nothing. I feel zero, I I feel nothing of it. I don't, I'm not scared of Brett Venables. I'm not scared of BV. I had so many OU fans hit up my DMs, slide up for no reason other than to bother me and say, this is a home run hire. We're coming after you guys and we're going to leave you on the dust and then go kill it in the SEC. No, you're not. No, you're not, because Brett Venables, need I remind you, has never been a head coach, and if he's going to do that, maybe in the Big 12 whenever they, you know, when they're still here and everything, maybe they get out of the deal early, whatever. The moment they step into the SEC, Dan, those are the men. Those are the men who have been going at this for a long, long time. And no part of me thinks that Brett Venables is going to take OU to that level once they make it to the SEC. Maybe to the Big 12, sure, sure. Because like I said, the Big 12, sometimes it's a little bit of a, sometimes there could be some pushover opponents sometimes, especially on any given year. Other than OSU and Baylor, obviously, this year, we haven't really seen that much difference out of this conference over the past five years or so. So Brett Venable's short-term could make a big impact in OU winning some football games in the Big 12. But there's no no part of me that thinks that this hire is this home run hire that oh, OU fans have been clamoring about. That oh, OU fans, I wish I could. Uh, this was uncensored because I have a lot of other things. <laughs> I, a lot, I have a lot of there, other John. ways. I have a lot of other ways to interpret this. See,
0: but okay, with that, I disagree. I think that I think they are going to make it in the SEC because they have the name brand recognition, Oklahoma. Does not change if they're leaving the Big 12 to the SEC. I think it's only going to help them. The SEC is already a dominant conference in some people's perspective. I don't think it's the greatest uh, conference as far as football goes because there's teams in that conference that are lackluster. Kentucky's on the rise. I will give them that. Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Not so much. South Carolina, not so much. But they have the name recognition. Historically, it's still the SEC. So I think that they are going to be just fine when they hit the SEC. I think the one thing that they're going to have to figure things out, though, is what's going to happen regarding their offense moving forward. Right? Is Caleb Williams going to stay or is he going to go? I think it's going to be real telling. Obviously, Brett Venable's press conference is today. I think we'll find out in the coming weeks if Caleb Williams is staying. I guarantee you, as soon as he hit that plane ride with Joe C flying back to Norman from Clemson, he was probably already on the phone with Caleb Williams and saying, hey, you in or you out? Because I, even though I'm a defensive guy, I want you a part of this system. I want you a part of this team.
1: Right, and we'll say we don't got much time today, so this is the last I'll say about this. But you mentioned OU's Big recognition—that's the thing that I think will make it bad. It'll be, may, could be their downfall once they get to the SEC. Because need I remind you, there's also Alabama, there's Georgia. Depending on what conference, it could be uh, Florida. There could be, uh, you know, Auburn. Sometimes has good years. So is OU really comfortable having two, three losses? Maybe LSU with Brian Kelly too. Two, three losses in their schedule. Having that recognition. Are they comfortable with sometimes being second fiddle to Nick Saban, second fiddle to Brian Kelly, second fiddle to Kirby Smart? I don't know if they will be. So, the, I, I I like I said, it's a good hire for them. If I was an OU fan, I would be excited. But, damn, I'm glad I'm not an OU fan.
0: Yeah, because you are a Cowboy fan at heart. But speaking of the Cowboys... Tough one in Big D, this one coming down to the inches. You could blame coaches' play calling. You could blame Spencer Sanders for throwing interceptions. You could blame the first-half struggles. But you can also see some positives on clamping down on Baylor in the second half. What was your takeaway from this matchup? Because I just look at it like I I love Spencer Sanders. There's times where I think he's an amazing quarterback, but then there's times where he just struggles. And on Saturday in the Big 12 title game, that is a prime example of struggles that he had. I'm not forcing all the blame on him, But a lot of it has to be on his plate. Interceptions were a problem. And obviously not having Jalen Warren in the offense, that is a big hurdle to go over as well. What was your take, Johnny?
1: Dan, I got a confession to make. Whenever it was about to be – I was about to tweet this out after Bedlam. But I was going to also tweet this out in the last few seconds. I had it ready and everything – should OSU have scored the touchdown? I was going to say something stupid. I was going to say, this is the reason why you should stay in your toxic relationships. Because eventually, it will come through. Because i I said in this podcast many times, being an OSU fan is just like being in a toxic relationship. And should they have made that touchdown, I would have said, it's okay to stay. I have every reason to believe that that is absolutely the stupidest thing I could have possibly done because obviously that did not work out as I thought it would be. Um, in terms of the actual game, Spencer Sanders obviously didn't have a good game. Um, Jalen Warren, obviously the focal point of that offense, was missing. Uh, you know, I think Desmond Jackson did a good of a jo- as good of a job making sure that run game was kind of established um, in the second half as he could. Obviously... I feel like they established a run a little too late. Um, but uh, to me, the biggest thing that happened, like the saying goes, one or two football plays can determine a game. Um, in this case, I think seven plays, which is the amount of plays we had at the one yard line in the in the second half. That was an absolute killer. Knife to the freaking heart. Killer. You had... Seven plays to get one yard, and it couldn't happen. Now, people keep on saying that, you know, Mike Gundy played, like he was playing not to lose by going for that field goal that first time. People come up after me for this. I disagree. I think that was the right call because, yeah, maybe should he not have made it, um, you know, should he had not converted that fourth down, uh, Baylor would have started at the one-yard line, yada, yada, yada. Defense was playing great. Defense had a sh- pitch to shutout that second half. They would have been in probably pretty good position, but they were desperate for points. They needed those points. You play, You did three plays, didn't get a single yard at the one-yard line. So what makes you think that in the, four, the if you go for it on fourth down, you're going to get something different? You needed those points. You needed that field goal. So I don't blame Mike Gunny for one bit for going for the field goal there. They had obviously another chance to seal the game away. And I don't know. Dan, i got to be it's honest just, with it's you. It's just
0: disappointing. I mean, it, it, look, I will say this about this Cowboy team. When we started the podcast – This past year, at the beginning of the season, we never expected the Cowboys to be this good or have this opportunity to even be sniffing the playoff. They were not projected to be playing that well, and they were not projected to be playing in a big game like this. We looked at this and was like, well, it's going to be Oklahoma again in the Big 12 title game. OSU's not going to win Bedlam. Look, it's a loss that's going to sting. It's going to be frustrating, but look at the future of what this defensive unit has if Jim Knowles stays you're really only losing Malcolm Rodriguez so they should be fine heading into next year they need to really finish this out this season out strong you have to beat Notre Dame is if you lose to Notre Dame then this has been a lackluster season again for for Oklahoma State because think about it what what did you accomplish I'm sorry if I'm being so bluntly but what did you accomplish you didn't win the Big 12
1: I think and you a, didn't win your bowl game. I think a lot of the energy was sapped after the Bedlam win because we were just dying for it so many years. I mean, just years of being lose over and over and, on and over again. You could make the argument that all of the feelings OSU would have had winning the Big 12, possibly even winning a college football playoff game, was all just dipped into one basket, and that was the Bedlam game. And after that... Whether I can't really say anything about the players, but I'm sure from the fan base perspective, we were absolutely just we settled for it. we were like, okay, this is it. This is as good. This was a great season. We beat OU. We're right there in the thick of the college football playoff. We're okay with that, which I think is also a really big downside to OSU fans. We get a, a one, two, three loss season where we win 10, 11, 12 games. And we think of that as a complete and total success. We're happy about that. We're settling for that. When in reality, that shouldn't be the mentality of a program or a fan base that's looking for more. And when no, I say No, you shouldn't national be looking
0: at one game defining your season or moving forward. But if, for this year, that's kind of what it is. And I, I just want to see them finish out the right way by winning the bowl game because, it, to me, if you don't win that bowl game and you lose these final two games on the year this season – in a lot of ways has been a disappointment.
1: Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's I don't want to say it too much of a disappointment really because at the end of the day, Dan, you got to also remember this defense, this team r- really none of these guys are like first round picks. None of these guys are like second top tier like uh, these guys are not top tier draft combine prospects. They're all guys who just love to play football.
0: And they're guys that will probably get a look, but they probably won't get drafted. Right, exactly. They might make practice squads. There's a handful in there that will get a look. I mean, if I was a a coach, I'd be looking at Malcolm Rodriguez maybe for, you know. Malcolm
1: Rodriguez is definitely underrated in my eyes. But I definitely think, though, that this season had a special feeling to it because of the fact that we never were really supposed to be there in the first place, right? It was just a combination of good coaching and players wanting to play f- for each other, and it resulted in this type of season. Obviously, you know, stuff could if if the offensive would have just played as a, just a little bit better um, Saturday the result probably could have been well, way and, different and,
0: and the frustrating part about that is is that Baylor was giving you so many different chances to have that come into your wheelhouse to pull out a win and it just didn't come into play and right it, you know I'm not going to go it down to the the inches on the touchdown I mean I'm not going to put all uh, the topic on that because it's not just that running back that was the, the whole team didn't get into the end zone mm-hmm. I, I think I would have mixed it up. If you're going to keep Spencer in, I would have changed the plays that I'm going to be calling. But four interceptions on a guy that was first-team selection for the Big 12, that shouldn't be happening. No. Nope. Should not be happening. Hey, state championships took place this past weekend at UCO. Hall and Hall picked up their second straight state title. Union loses a tough one to their arch-rival, Jinx. And then Collinsville able to pick up a big win over McAllister, probably the greatest state game that I've ever seen in my entire life, as well as high school football as a whole. Probably the best high school football game that I've ever covered. Collinsville picks up their first state title at the 5A level, and then Bixby doing Bixby things. 49th straight win, four straight 6A2 state titles. Obviously, Jinx will be moving up to 6A1 next year. It's going to be a lot of fun to see if the Spartans can continue to roll because I look at it, you've done your business at the 6A2, but now you're moving up, you're playing the big dogs left and right. Can you continue to do that? What is your take on
1: that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Bixby, I mean, 49 straight wins. I don't think there's a lot. It doesn't matter
0: what league you're in. That's no, still impressive. doesn't matter. It could be in 3A. It, could, it doesn't matter what
1: state you're in, you know. Having that mo- amount of sustained success is insane. How many How many games are in a high school season, Dan? Like,
0: uh, I want to say 13, 14 so, with the state championship. So
1: think about it this way. Some of these kids were in eighth, seventh grade, and going into high school, they never lost a game. Never lost a game. That is insane. That is 13 impressive. 13 games, excuse me. Okay, gotcha. Some, like I said, some of them have never felt defeat in their high school career ever. So that's impressive. Whether, it, you know, you could say that, oh, you know, it's – week schedule, you know, that much competition, it's in Oklahoma, whatever. No, I think it is absolutely it's extremely impressive. I think should Bixby move up to 6A1. I would say that they would keep the ball rolling. I don't think you know it's going to be it would be good games against Jinx, good games against Union obviously. But I don't expect Bixby to really, like, take the pedal off the metal yeah, at all they, here. Yeah, they've
0: won their – that was their seventh in the last eight years to play in a state title, and they've won at that as well. Obviously, you're very familiar with Braylon Presley. He – first play of the game for them, trick play, 76-yard touchdown pass, and then he also ran for a 94-yard score, given the school's rushing yards record and finished the game with four total touchdowns
1: absolutely and uh you know it's one of those things it's crazy like a lot of times we always like to in professional sports point out dynasties and everything we're always addicted to the dominant teams uh in high school though it feels like there's a little bit more pizzazz a little bit more intimacy because of how crazy it is uh, how the high school game is built um You know, 49 straight wins is nothing Like – it is something to really marvel at. But if I was the Bixby – if I was like the Bixby fan – if I was a Bixby fan, if I was one of the Bixby players, you know what I'd do, Dan? I would say, let's go to Texas. Let's let's schedule some non-conference games that will probably make national TV – and let's stick it to everyone else in the country, and let them know that Bixby High School is one of the top teams in the entire. Oh yeah, nation. I would
0: love to see this. I would love to see the same opportunity for that. But with that said, I don't want to see them having to make the trip down to Texas. I need. I want to see a Texas team make the trip up to Oklahoma, because the way it all is done in high school football in the state of Oklahoma, most of the time the Oklahoma schools have to make the trip down the turnpike all the way down to Texas to play those schools down there. Could they beat an Allen? Could they beat a DeSoto? Could they beat a Cedar Hill? A Cedar Hill. Could they, you know, uh, I don't know. But I'd like to see them get, get an opportunity. I mean, you're a Texas boy, so you know what I'm talking about here. You, the high school football in the state of Texas is king. I'm not going to argue it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to dispute it. it. It's the top notch for when it comes to high school football. But I'd like to see Bixby give a shot at it. I like these big games when it comes to high school football. Heck, I'd even see a high school Bixby team taking on, I don't know who the teams are in Florida, but I'd love to see a matchup against Florida somewhere. I think Bixby has changed the way that we look at high school football. Are they going to continue to be undefeated when they make it up to the 6A1 level? I don't know. The competition's definitely going to be tougher, and it's going to be harder. When you got Union, Owasso, Broken Arrow, and Jinx possibly on the schedule, that's not no easy feat. You know, and for Jinx to win their second straight state title is impressive in its own right. And to do it against Union, who has not been in the state championship since 2015, I think that needs to add to the excitement as well. I'm very happy for Collinsville picking up their first title because Kevin Jones has been the head coach at Collinsville for quite some time. He's made the playoffs. He's made the semis, but he's never finished it with a gold ball. But this McAllister team, they are, they are some big dudes down in McAllister. Their running back, Eric McCarty. I don't know if you've heard the name, but you should now because he had four touchdowns, 278 yards. That's impressive. And I think It just shows that Oklahoma belongs when it comes to high school football, and I'd love to see them get more recognition throughout the United States regarding their high school football because you said it at the beginning, 49 straight, I don't care what division you're in. That's impressive.
1: Right, and there's something else I should take note of. uh... Like you said, I am from Texas. The 5A in Texas is much different from the 5A here. Yes. In the sense that, like, you know, there's a lot – it's almost kind of like college in the sense. With, like, some of the 5A schools, there's a lot more pizzazz. Stadiums are a little bit bigger, and it's much more of a bigger deal. 5A and 6A, you can make the argument that there's some 5A schools that could easily beat some of the 6A schools in Texas. That's just how competitive it is. It's really just the populations of the schools that are just, you know, hindering those matchups. Um. With with five A in Oklahoma, you're talking about some small towns. Um, you know, obviously not as flashy stadiums as Texas, but the passion is there. The passion is at the exact same little level, if not higher, in places like Collinsville and McAllister and everything. And the talent level is similar. You got guys from like you know they the, they may not come from the most affluent areas of the world, but they love football, and they will play for the coaches. They will play for their teammates, and these guys look like they're going to be playing on Saturdays, you know? And the fact that they're doing this um, in a place like Oklahoma where it's not really known to be, like, this huge powerhouse football state like California, Texas, Ohio, Florida, um, it's it's amazing to see. It's really cool to see, and I'm really hoping these kids – um some of them are able to get an opportunity to play at the next level dan
0: all it really cracks me up when we talk about high school football as a whole south lake Carroll, austin westlake all that it just makes me even happier to know that texas college football still sucks oh yeah terrible it's awful it's embarrassing I, and I'm going to, you know, put a dumpster fire at all over the place because I don't really care, and I think you're in the same boat. It's embarrassing that you own high school football and you suck at college football. How can you suck so bad when it comes to college football?
1: I'll Johnny, tell you why. you got
0: anything, you grew up in Texas. There's no excuse for it. You have all these recruits in the entire state. You have more of a population base I would say the only two schools that you compete against is New York, which is not known for its high school football, California, and Florida. And you suck at college football. Horns down, whatever you want to call it, it's just embarrassing that you guys cannot be good at college football. To allow Kansas to beat you this year? It's the
1: same phenomenon as USC had for the longest time 100%. before Lincoln Riley came there. All the kids from California, all of these – big-time, five-star prospects would go across the country to go to OU or Alabama or wherever, and if they're going to stay in the West Coast, they're going to go to Oregon. Um, it's insane to me how— and You may say, though, what's going on with these like Texas kids. Texas is such a big state with so much talent. Texas is getting these players, you know. Texas A&M is getting these players. Heck, even Baylor's TCU sometimes gets these players. But sometimes when you don't have the right staff around, it's just not going to work out. It doesn't work out. You saw, I mean, this Texas roster this past year, there's plenty of five, four stars to go around the table. And look what happened. You know, you could put a star into beside someone's name, but you can't really measure the one, two, or the intangibles or the staff or the fit. You can't really measure that until they actually go on the field. Um, and a lot of those players... They don't really have, find after all, everything that's been going on with like all the Texas college teams, they don't really find staying in Texas appealing. A lot of them, they get the flashy vibe of playing state championship games, uh, state playoff games in AT and Stadium, having these big stadiums around them. Anytime they play a home football game, they want to be in the biggest stadiums at the biggest scenes of college football. So they're not afraid. These Texas kids are not afraid. To go to Notre Dame, to go to Alabama, LSU, Georgia, whatever SEC team you may think of. A lot of them really are not scared of going to OU um, or even the West Coast. They go everywhere. And I'm sure that's the same with Florida. I'm sure that's the same with Georgia, Ohio, and California. Although now that Lincoln Riley's there, I'm sure he may change significantly. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not a good time to be a Texas college football fan unless... Unless, of
0: course, you're the Baylor Bears. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode, Johnny and the Hawk Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and follow our latest stuff that we put up on there as well. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys in about two weeks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Remember, you can follow Johnny Resendez as well as Dan Hawk on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to Johnny and the Hawk. Also, for all the latest Oklahoma sports, check on newson6.com.